0: Hello, fellow saints, and welcome back to Come Follow Me with Brother T. We are going over 1 Nephi chapters 8 through 10 and sort of 11 through 15 as well. It's a little bit awkward to go over chapter 8 without using 11 and 15 as an example. However, there is so much important and beautiful content in chapters 11 through 15 that they will have their own episode. For the purpose of this episode, I will reference scriptures in chapter 8 and use verses in those other chapters to help explain the interpretation of Levi's history. So with that saying, let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says that they planted their crops, so they were getting ready to be there for a while until they were prepared to cross the ocean into the promised land. In verse 2, we learn that Lehi has had another profound vision, and he's not worried about Nephi and Sam, but he is concerned about Laman and Lemuel. And in the dream, a man dressed in white robes asks him to follow him through a dark and dreary wilderness. And after many hours in the dark, he prays for mercy and relief. We learn in verses 9 through 10 that he comes to a spacious field where he sees a tree whose fruit is desirable to make one happy. And he tastes the fruit and he immediately wants his family to partake of that fruit. And while he's looking around for them, he sees a river next to the tree. And at the head of the river, he sees his wife, Sariah, and he also sees Sam and Nephi, his sons. And Lehi calls for them and they come and they eat the fruit. And then he sees Laman and Lemuel, but they ignore him. He sees an iron rod along a river that leads to the tree in the spacious field and which is also along a straight and narrow path. Additionally, he sees a lot of people looking for the path to the tree, but there is a mist of darkness that causes those who are looking for that path to lose their way. However, those clinging to the iron rod make it to the tree and eat the fruit. Now some, after eating the fruit, are ashamed because across the river there is a large and spacious building floating in the air filled with people dressed in fine clothing pointing and laughing at them. And because of their shame, they fall away and are lost. Now Nephi doesn't give all the details, but he sees many people make it to the tree and many go to this floating building. And he sees some drowned in the river and others who are lost and wandering. And I love how in verse 33, he talks about the people who entered the great and spacious building and who were pointing at them and laughing at them to scorn. He said, we heeded them not. So that is a dream. Let's go over the interpretation and dive into it a little bit more. We'll go over the symbols and the interpretation that's given to Nephi in chapters 11 through 15. And let's start in verse 10. And it came to pass that I beheld a tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. And it came to pass that I did go forth and partake of that fruit and beheld that it was most sweet above all that was ever before tasted. Yea, and I beheld that the fruit thereof was white to exceed all the whiteness that I had ever seen. The tree and the white fruit represent the love of God, which he showed by giving his son to be our savior. And the reference to that is chapter 11, verses 21 through 25, and also chapter 15, verse 22. Jeffrey R. Holland said the Spirit made explicit that the tree of life and its precious fruit are symbols of Christ's redemption. Neil A. Maxwell said, the tree of life is the love of God. The love of God for his children is most profoundly expressed in his gift of Jesus as our Redeemer. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. To partake of the love of God is to partake of Jesus' atonement and the emancipations and joys which it can bring. The river of filthy water that we see in verse 13 represents the depths of hell into which the wicked fall. and You can see that in chapter 12, verse 16, and also in chapter 15, verse 27. The rod of iron along a straight and narrow path in verse nineteen is the word of God which leads to the tree of life. The interpretation is in chapter eleven, verse twenty-five. Now the rod of iron was used to guide through the mists of darkness in verse twenty-three, and those represent the temptations of the devil which blind people so that they lose their way and cannot find the tree, and that's found in chapter twelve, verse seventeen. David A. Bednar said, "Let me suggest." That holding fast to the iron rod entails the prayerful and consistent use of all three of the ways of obtaining living water reading, studying, and searching. The regular use of all three methods produces a more constant flow of living water and is, in large measure, what it means to hold fast to the iron rod. Are you and I daily reading, studying, and searching the scriptures in a way that enables us to hold fast to the rod of iron? Joseph B. Wirthlin said, you must hold firmly to the rod of iron through the mists of darkness, the hardships and trials of life. If you relax your grip and slip from the path, the iron rod might become lost in the darkness for a time until you repent and regain your grasp of it. And we know that the rod of iron runs alongside a straight and narrow path. Elder Lowell M. Snow said, life is full of many intersecting roads and trails. There are so many paths to follow, so many voices calling out low here or low there. There is such a variety and volume of media flooding our personal space, most of it intent on herding us down a path that is broad and traveled by many. When pondering which of these voices to listen to, or which road among the many is right, have you ever asked yourself, as Joseph Smith did, what is to be done, who of all these voices and roads is right, or are they all wrong together? If any one of them be right, which is it, and how shall I know it? My witness to you is that Jesus Christ continues to mark the path, lead the way, and define every point on our journey. His path is straight and narrow and leads toward light and life and endless day. In verse 26, we read about the great and spacious building that is in the air, and that represents the pride and vain imaginations of the world. We can see the interpretation of that in chapter 11, verse 36, and chapter 12, verse 18. Glenn L. Pace said, To those of you who are inching your way closer and closer to that great and spacious building, let me make it completely clear that the people in that building have absolutely nothing to offer except instant, short-term gratification, inescapably connected to the long-term sorrow and suffering. The commandments you observe were not given by a dispassionate God to prevent you from having fun, but by a loving Father in Heaven who wants you to be happy while you are living on this earth as well as in the hereafter. Compare the blessings of living the word of wisdom to those available to you if you choose to party with those in the great and spacious building. Compare the joy of intelligent humor and wit to drunken, silly, crude, loud laughter. Compare our faithful young women who still have a blush in their cheeks with those who have long lost their blush. Try to persuade you to join them in their loss. Compare lifting people up to putting people down. Compare the ability to receive personal revelation and direction in your life to being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Compare holding the priesthood of God with anything you see going on in that great and spacious building. Elton Perry said the current cries we hear coming from the great and spacious building tempt us to compete for ownership in the things of this world. We think we need a larger home with a three-car garage and a recreational vehicle parked next to it. We long for designer clothes, extra TV sets, the latest model computers, and the newest car. Often these items are purchased with borrowed money without giving any thought to providing for our future needs. The result of all this instant gratification is overloaded bankruptcy courts and families that are far too preoccupied with their financial burdens. Neal A. Maxwell said, let us expect that many will regard us indifferently. Others will see us as quaint or misled. Let us bear the pointing fingers which ironically belong to those finally who, being bored, find the great and spacious building to be a stale and cramped third-class hotel. Let us revile not the revilers and heed them not. Instead, let us use our energy to hold up the shield of faith to quench the incoming fiery darts. In addition to those interpretations, we also have 10 groups of people in this dream. Verses 21 and 23 talk about the people who start on the path to the tree but are lost in the mist. In chapter 11, verse 28, we read about the multitudes who heard Jesus but cast him out. We also read in verses 31 through 33 of chapter 11, the people who crucified Jesus even after he healed the sick and cast out devils. We read about in verses 34 through 36 of chapter 11 the multitudes who gathered together in a large and spacious building to fight against the 12 apostles of the Lamb. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 4 and 13 through 15, we read about the Nephites and Lamanites who were gathered together to battle and were slaughtered in war. In verses 19 through 23 of chapter 12, we read about the Nephites who, because of pride, were destroyed by the Lamanites and dwindled in unbelief. In verses 24 through 25 and 28 of chapter 8 we read about the people who make it to the tree and taste the fruit by holding on to the rod but fall away when they are mocked. In verses 26 through 27 and 31 through 33 we also read about the people who desire the great and spacious building more than the tree. In verses 30 and 33 we read about the people who held on to the iron rod, partook of the fruit, then ignored the mockers and did not fall away. Those are the people, brothers and sisters, who partake of the greatest of all of God's gifts, which is eternal life. And you can read about that more in chapter 15, verse 36. And thus ends Lehi's dream and an interpretation of that. And after reading this, it's got to be really hard for Lehi to see two of his sons just completely ignore him and rebel. And It's got to be really hard to be a parent of a rebellious child. Verse 37 and 38 say, And he did exhort them with all the feelings of a tender parent, that they would hearken unto his word, that perhaps the Lord would be merciful to them, and not cast them off. Yea, my father did preach unto them. And after he had preached unto them, and also prophesied unto them of many things, he bade them to keep the commandments of the Lord, and he did cease speaking unto them. Robert D. Hale said, We too must have the faith to teach our children, and bid them to keep the commandments. We should not let their choices weaken our faith. Our worthiness will not be measured according to their righteousness. Lehi did not lose the blessing of feasting at the tree of life because Laman and Lemuel refused to partake of its fruit. Sometimes as parents, we feel we have failed when our children make mistakes or stray. Parents are never failures when they do their best to love, teach, pray, and care for their children. Their faith, prayers, and efforts will be consecrated to the good of their children. In chapter 9, we switch gears pretty quickly, and here we have an explanation as to why we have the scriptures that we do have. And we're reading a translation of Nephi's abridgment of his father's record, continuing on with his record that, according to verse 3, is more about the ministry, whereas the other record was more about the history. And the following list clarifies the differences and similarities between the two accounts. In verses 1 through 5 in 1 Nephi chapter 9, we are talking about the account taken directly from the small plates. When Nephi uses the term these, he is referring to the small plates. When he uses the term those, he's talking about the large plates. And the large plates were first made about 590 B.C., whereas the small plates were made about 20 years later, about 570 B.C. Now, Nephi's explanation as to why the Lord commanded him to make a second record or the small plates is in verse five, and it reads, wherefore the Lord hath commanded me to make these plates for a wise purpose in him, which purpose I know not. So he doesn't know why, he just knows the Lord commands it. And of course, we know that Nephi does what the Lord commands him. However, we know what that purpose was and why it was so wise. It's pretty well understood that the wise purpose was to compensate for the lost 116 pages that Martin Harris lost to his wife and the conspirators. If you remember, Joseph asked God three different times if Martin could take the manuscript, and the answer was no until he finally gave permission after the third time. And the manuscript fell into the hands of some wicked men and became known as the lost 116 pages. This is what Jeffrey R. Holland has to say about it, though. He says, At least six times in the Book of Mormon, the phrase for a wise purpose is used in reference to making, writing, and preserving of the small plates of Nephi. You and I know the wise purpose, the most obvious one, was to compensate for the loss of the earlier mentioned 116 pages of manuscript. But it strikes me that there is a wiser purpose than that. The key to such a suggestion of a wiser purpose is in verse 45 of Doctrine and Covenants, section 10. As the Lord instructs Joseph, he says, Behold, there are many things engraven upon the smaller plates of Nephi, which do throw greater views upon my gospel. So, clearly, this was not tit for tat. This for that. You give me 116 pages of manuscript, and I'll give you 142 pages of printed text. Not so. We got back more than we lost, and it was known from the beginning that it would be so. It was for a wiser purpose. We do not know exactly what we missed in the 116 pages, but we do know that what we received on the small plates was the personal declarations of three great witnesses, Nephi, Jacob, and Isaiah, three of the great doctrinal voices of the Book of Mormon, testifying that Jesus is the Christ. Regarding Nephi's obedience to the Lord, Marvin J. Ashton said, Sometimes when we are asked to be obedient, we do not know why, except that the Lord has commanded." Nephi followed instructions even though he didn't fully understand the wise purpose. His obedience resulted in blessings to mankind all over the world. By not obeying our present-day leaders, we plant our seeds in stony places and may forfeit the harvest. This chapter ends with verse 6 that says, But the Lord knoweth all things from the beginning, wherefore he prepareth a way to accomplish all his works among the children of men. For behold, he hath all power unto the fulfilling of all his words, and thus it is. Amen. Neil A. Maxwell said some have sincere faith in the existence of God, but not necessarily in a revealing and omniscient God. Other sincere individuals question God's omniscience, wondering, even though respectfully, whether God can know the future. But an omniscient and revealing God can, at any present moment, disclose things future. This is possible because in the presence of God, all things for their glory are manifest, past, present, and future, and are continually before the Lord. Thus God knoweth all things, for all things are present before his eyes. He told Moses, there is no God beside me, and all things are present with me, for I know them all. No qualifiers on the scope of God's knowledge appear in holy writ. Instead, we read, Oh, how great the holiness of our God, for he knoweth all things and there is not anything save he knows it. Chapter 10 is all about Lehi's prophecy regarding the destruction of Jerusalem and the coming of the Messiah. Bruce R. McConkie said, Why was Israel scattered? The answer is clear. It is plain. Of it, there is no doubt. Our Israelite forebears were scattered because they rejected the gospel, defiled the priesthood, forsook the church, and departed from the kingdom. They were scattered because they turned from the Lord, worshipped false gods, and walked in all the ways of the heathen nations. Israel was scattered for apostasy. The Lord in his wrath, because of their wickedness and rebellion, scattered them among the heathen in all the nations of the earth. What then is involved in the gathering of Israel? The gathering of Israel consists in believing and accepting and living in harmony with all that the Lord once offered his ancient chosen people. It consists of having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, of repenting, of being baptized, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and of keeping the commandments of God. It consists of believing the gospel, joining the church, and coming into the kingdom. It consists of receiving the holy priesthood, being endowed in holy places with power from on high, and receiving all the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the ordinance of celestial merit. And it may also consist of assembling to an appointed place or land of worship. Having this concept of the scattering and gathering of the chosen seed, we are able to understand the prophetic word relative thereto. Here is Lehi's prophecy. In verse 4, we read that in 600 years, Jesus would come. In verse 5, he mentions that many, many prophets have testified of the Savior's mission. In verse 6, he talks about the consequences if he did not come. He says, Wherefore all mankind were in a lost, and in a fallen state, and ever would be, save they should rely on this Redeemer. Verses 7-10, through 10, he prophesies of John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord by baptizing in Beth In verse 11, we read how the Jews would kill the Messiah, but he would be resurrected. Verse 12 talks about the children of Lehi and how they should be compared to an olive tree branch. And verse 13, why to be taken to a land of promise. In verse 14, after a thorough scattering of the house of Israel, the Gentiles will restore the gospel, then it will be shared with the house of Israel. Brothers and sisters, if you want more information on the gathering and scattering of Israel, check out my previous podcast titled, A Brief History of the Children of Israel. And then also, chapter 5 of Jacob is a great chapter all about the scattering and then the gathering of Israel. In verse 17, Nephi seeks a witness from the Holy Ghost regarding all of the things that his father told him. We read, And it came to pass that after I, Nephi, having heard all the words of my father concerning the things which he saw in a vision, and also the things which he spake by the power of the Holy Ghost, which power he received by faith on the Son of God, and the Son of God was the Messiah who should come. I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him, as well in times of old as in times that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. Russell M. Nelson said, Living the Lord's standards requires that we cultivate the gift of the Holy Ghost. That gift helps us understand doctrine and apply it personally. Because truth that is given by revelation can be understood only by revelation, our studies need to be prayerful. And Elder Bednar said, The Spirit of the Lord usually communicates with us in ways that are quiet, delicate, and subtle. The standard is clear. If something we think, see, hear, or do distances us from the Holy Ghost, then we should stop thinking, seeing, hearing, or doing that thing. If that which is intended to entertain, for example, alienates us from the Holy Ghost, then certainly that type of entertainment is not for us. Because the Spirit cannot abide that which is vulgar, crude, or immodest, then clearly such things are not for us. Because we estrange the Spirit of the Lord when we engage in activities we know we should shun, then such things definitely are not for us. Verse 19, we read, For he that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost, as well in these times as in times of old, and as well in times of old as in times to come. Wherefore, the course of the Lord is one eternal round. In other words, we need to seek to understand the mysteries of God. Finally, in verse 21, we read, Wherefore, if ye have sought to do wickedly in the days of your probation, then ye are found unclean before the judgment seat of God, and no unclean thing can dwell with God. Wherefore, ye must be cast off forever. and He warns about doing wickedly. It is my hope and prayer that each of us will hold tight to the iron rod, to the scriptures that we have, and to the words of the prophets. That we can follow along that straight and narrow path along the river that leads to the tree of life. That there we might partake of that fruit and enjoy the sweetness of it. And that we will disregard and ignore the scoffers from the great and spacious building. That we will walk through those mists of darkness knowing that we know the way because we have the iron rod. I pray for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. (music) Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. As usual, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can reach me at drjaredthomas at gmail.com or send me a text at 916-412-2136. Thanks and have a blessed day.